0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Super fun to be with you guys today. Very good times. So uh, celebrating baptisms, which is awesome. You noticed on the way in, we've got a coffee card out there from our friends at ICANN. We're really excited for that. Thank you. Uh, we, we really love that ministry, if you're not familiar with them. Uh, they're a local group that has a ministry to adults with disabilities. They serve them in a multitude of ways, helping them with life skills, employment. Uh, really terrific. And we've got folks in our church who are part of that ministry. Uh, clients are there, so we're, uh, we're really excited to have them out here today making coffee. They just gave me like hot coffee from a tap. They've got this new contraption. was just wonderful. Anyway, the whole thing is great. And there's donuts after service, too. Because... <laughs> When we're praising God, it's good to praise Him with donuts. It's a very good thing. So, uh, well, this is great. This is the one day a year that I get to conduct a service in a swimsuit. That's always exciting. Um, I got I got two great comments uh, on my way through. Somebody uh, somebody said to me, "Wow, you're really dressing down for service today." And I and I laughed. And then and then like like I'm not kidding. Twenty seconds later, I passed somebody else who said hey, you look like every other Sunday. So, <laughs> like, well, okay. Um, so today we, are, uh, we get to baptize three young adults, three of our teens of various ages, and um, we're so stoked on this. Uh, if you've been around a while, you know that we've, we've baptized people everywhere. Uh, a couple of backyard swimming pools, some of you have been baptized in, hot tubs in various places, um, uh, the Pacific, uh, last year was the first time that we did baptisms in the building, and we were like, man, this is, this is just, it's more better on every level. Just the increased level of participation, uh, our, our friends online are able to see as well, which is awesome. Good morning, folks, who are with us online. Alex and Mel, thank you for the video. We know you're with us this morning. Thank you for all that you guys do. Uh, so stoked. So here's what's happening this morning. Uh, we'll, oh, actually, just a word about the baptismal, too. So you're asking yourself, how did this lovely thing get here? And the answer to that is Doug Lee. So we've been trying to kind of crack the baptismal question for this space for a while, and Doug, who's like pastor slash engineer, found a way. So this was like a like a farm implement water cistern, and he's like in here with a saw, like cutting. It's very impressive. So what can't that guy do? (laughs) Really, I mean, he does it all. Uh, Here's what we're gonna do this morning. So uh, you're gonna meet the candidates for baptism. We're going to uh, baptize them. You you, uh, have their testimonies are printed in the materials that you got when you came in. And a couple of them are going to uh, share their story as well. So you will hear from them Uh, and then uh, many don't realize that this is part of historically part of the baptism ceremony as well. But there's two other things that are happening this morning. One is as the uh, the folks being baptized come out of the water, uh, they're going to go off to one side and they're going to be anointed with oil and prayed for. And historically, the church has done this as a symbol of the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and we pray for them that the Spirit will just be stirred up in their lives, that the fruit of the Spirit will ripen in their lives, and that their spiritual gifts will be activated in a special way and that they might serve God well as the Spirit enables them. And the other part is a part that's, that's for all of you to participate, anyone who has been baptized. So historically, when we baptize, the church participates by renewing their own baptism, uh, by remembering when you were baptized, remembering that you too have been in these same waters with everyone who has been baptized into Christ. So uh, this morning, if you would like, as you come forward for communion, myself and Cameron uh, will be standing to the sides, too, and we'll have a cup with some of the water from the baptismal in it. And as you come forward, we'll make the sign of the cross on your head and invite you to remember your baptism, too. So these things are all happening, just so you're, you're aware of what everything means this morning. And uh, before we do that, I wanna offer us a brief teaching on baptism from the scriptures. So let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we are so thankful to be called to be your family, called to be your children. And we remember that in baptism today. We thank you, God, for your plan from the beginning, uh, that your son would come and would die in our place and that we might find new life as we put our trust in him. God, we uh, pray this morning uh, for these three young women who are being baptized. We pray that today will be a significant marker in their lives uh, as they publicly declare their trust in you, their allegiance to you. God, we pray that this would be a moment they can continue to draw strength from and look back on for years to come. And God, we, uh, we pray for the younger kids that are with us too, that they might be encouraged and emboldened by the example of these young people's faith. And God, for all of us, we pray wherever we are at in our walk with you, uh, whether that's something that's been going on our whole lives or something that maybe we're just exploring, we pray that you would draw us towards you this morning. We trust you for all this. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. And we're asking the question this morning, what is it that happens in baptism? What is this about? What does it mean? What goes on in us? What does it signify? And uh, our text for that this morning is Galatians chapter 3. It reads like this. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true offspring of Abraham. You are heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Uh, Now, this is a text that will be familiar to many of you. It ends up getting cited around here quite a bit, uh, particularly as as we're talking about the Bible's teaching on the equality of all people. Uh, People, as we see here in this text, people of different races, uh, people of different classes, male and female. There's a fundamental equality uh, among all people that the scriptures speak of. Uh, But you may or may not realize that this is a verse about baptism. And among other things, it's giving us the foundation for that equality. And it's explaining to us what it is that happens when we are baptized into Christ. And there's three aspects of this that we're going to touch on this morning. The first thing that happens when we are baptized into Christ is that we get a new identity. We get a new identity when we're baptized. Verse 27 says this. It says, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So Paul says here that when you are baptized, you are united with Christ. You're joined to him. And Paul says, when you did this, when this occurred in your life, you got a new identity. Paul says, it's like putting on new clothing. And that's actually a really significant metaphor. Uh, because in the ancient world, in uh, both the, the Jewish world and in the Greco-Roman world, there was a very rigid system of class. Uh, very much actually, like if, if you know anything about Hindu society, very much like the caste system where uh, they have a, a visible marker on their foreheads to let people know what caste, what category they're from. And, and that lets you classify yourself, right? Typically you don't interact with people from outside of your caste. They had the same thing in the Greco-Roman world where Paul was writing to, but it was largely based around your clothing. What you wore defined what caste you were part of, and that kind of gave you your classification in society, told you who you would and wouldn't associate with. All this stuff was determined by your clothes. So, um, So for example, sort of the identity marker that you had in that. So if you were a slave, you could only wear certain kinds of clothes and you could only wear certain colors. Right? And that would let everybody know, before they even spoke to you, that would let everybody know that you were a slave. This was the class of society that you belonged to. Uh, if you were a slave and you had been freed, then you, you got to wear what was called a freedman's hat. And you could trot around town wearing this hat that would let everybody know, oh, look at them, they're free. So now if you were similarly free, you, you could perhaps, uh, you could communicate, you could interact with that person. If you're a citizen of Rome, this was a big deal. Not everyone got to be a citizen, but if you were a Roman citizen, then there was a special sash that you could wear, and this would let everybody know, just by seeing you, that this person is a citizen. If you were not a citizen, you dare not wear the sash. right? That would get you in a tremendous amount of trouble. Um, If you were part of nobility, there was a certain ring that you could wear, and that would let others know that you were part of nobility. So you get kind of the idea, it's the system, where everybody is able to look at you and determine who you are, uh, what worth they're going to assign you just based on how you look. It's, it's one of those like funny, not funny things, but we look at that and it's, it's almost like that Dr. Seuss book. You remember like the Star-Bellied Sneeds? It's like this whole thing where, where you're able to just see, okay, that's where this person stands. So your identity, understand this, your identity was literally displayed in your clothing. And Paul, in the middle of that context, Paul says, when you are baptized, you are putting on Jesus like new clothing. So whatever it is that you are supposed to wear to let the world know who you are and what your worth is, Paul says, no, no, no. When you are baptized into Christ, you put on new clothes. You are putting on Jesus and your new identity it's not based on your class, whether you're slave or free, it's not based on your race, whether you're Jew or Gentile. It's not based on your sex, whether you are male and female. But your new identity is based solely on the fact that you have been united to Jesus Christ. And because of that, you have this new identity. And he says it's, it's like that clothing you wore before. It's like you're, you're putting on this new team jersey. There's a few of these in the house this morning. It is football season. You're putting on this new team jersey. You are now Team Jesus. So maybe before being united with Jesus, your primary identity, your primary way of seeing yourself was your ethnic background. Right? For them, the primary category is being Jew and Gentile. For us, maybe it's your identity as somebody who's Japanese, or African, or Guatemalan, or Scottish. Uh, Your status, your career, your income, your education, that identity marker, for them, slave and free would have been the primary category for us. Maybe it's how you see yourself as working class, or middle class, or professional, or a student. Maybe, maybe, For you, your identity, you see it as taking pride in being a man or taking pride in being a woman. Maybe it's in being married or being single. Maybe it's in having kids or not kids. Maybe it's in your sexual identity. Maybe it's in where you're from. Maybe it's in who you vote for. All these identity markers that we have. Paul speaks to us and he says, no, 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 listen. When you are baptized into Christ, you are putting on new clothing that means you have a new identity. Whatever else may remain, and and many of these things do, we see even in the pictures of heaven that we have in the book of Revelation, people's ethnic identity is still part of that. But whatever else you may have as part of your identity, that is superseded in baptism by the fact that you are now united with Christ. You have put on Jesus like new clothes. And, Friends, can you see what good news that is? There is nothing that can take that away. There is a security in that. There is a stability in that. That this becomes the truest thing about you and I. When we come into a relationship with Christ, we get a new identity. Second, Paul says that we get a new family. Verse 28, he says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, why is this significant for us? Uh, In our world, uh, that that all people should be regarded as equal is a high enough value that it it often goes without saying. It's it's often something that we easily take for granted. Um, That some don't hold to that uh, just serves to further accentuate the point, the reaction that that causes is the exception that proves the rule. And we can thank Christianity for introducing this idea to the world. But in the ancient world, it's important to note that exactly the opposite was what was taken for granted. Of course, they would say. Of course, not everyone is equal. Just look around. And they would say, of course, the gods have made us such that some are higher than others. Right? And they would look at this and the evidence for it, and they didn't even protest this. It was just the way the gods had ordered it. Some were higher. If you were someone who was free, well, you were higher than those who are enslaved. If you were a man, well, you were higher than a woman. If you're a Gentile, you would say, the fact that I'm a Gentile makes me higher than those that are Jewish. If you're Jewish, you say, the fact that I am Jewish makes me higher than those that are Gentile. But the point is, it was absolutely self-evident that our world is ordered in such a way that we are not equal. And and the New Testament Church, and Paul here in particular as he speaks about this, is completely turning the societal system on its head and saying that is not actually the way that it is. When you are baptized into Christ, you have a new family, and it's a family that transcends all of those boundaries. this is important to note, too. When, when you look at a city like Torrance, we're a very diverse city, and we also happen to be very integrated. Right? You, um, uh, you look at our schools and our neighborhoods, and, and there's not a huge ethnic divide. We're pretty well mixed in terms of who lives where and who attends what school and who's in what jobs. That was not the case in the ancient world. You did not mix with people that were not part of your same caste. And, uh, and the Christians were quite radical and really looked down on for this, that when they gathered together to worship, it was a gathering of all sorts of people. And it was, it was termed to be a family. Right. So in a world where you might have contact, but you didn't have fellowship, folks who are in other categories, they would never be your people. They would never certainly be your family. Uh, but the Christians came proclaiming, That all of you, if you have come into relationship with Christ, you are now part of the same family. You are now one in Christ Jesus. Friends, when you are baptized into Jesus, that's what you are baptized into. You belong to a new, beautiful, all-encompassing family. Where the things that divided people then and that so often divide us still today, they don't apply to you. If you're a follower of Christ, you get to love everybody. You don't have to say of any particular group, I don't love them. All who are in Christ become part of this family. We see that when we enter into baptism, that we enter into the same waters that everyone else has entered into as they proclaim their faith in Christ. Uh, One more here. Baptism also means that we get a new inheritance. Uh, verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true offspring of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So friends, hear this. When you are baptized into Jesus, you receive a new inheritance. Now that you belong to Christ, you are adopted as his children, recipients of the promises that are given to Abraham of being blessed and of being a blessing. Uh, But now, if you are baptized into Jesus, you have this new identity. You're baptized into a new family, and it also meant that you are now heirs. You are the true offspring of Abraham. But here's a question on this. So why here? In verse 26, does Paul say that you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus? As opposed to you are sons and daughters of Christ. Uh, Now, normally, that's how Paul phrases things. Uh, He will use an inclusive term there. In Greek, you have certain terms that are inclusive of both male and female. And then you have some that are exclusively male and exclusively female. And most of the time, when Paul is addressing a church, he uses those more inclusive terms that encompass both men and women. But here in this instance, significantly, he doesn't do that. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's why. Now in the ancient world, even if you were part of the family, that did not mean that you had inheritance rights. In that world, only sons had inheritance rights. It's messed up, but that's the way it was, right? If you were a daughter, there were no inheritance rights for you. Being a son came with certain privileges that did not come with being a daughter. Same thing with being a slave. You might be be a slave who grows up in the house right next to the sons. You might be loved as a member of that family. You might eat dinner at the same table as the sons. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, you are not an heir. Only the sons are heirs. And similarly, if you were not Jewish, even if you believed in the God of Israel, you did not fully come into the promises given to Abraham. You might be sort of sort of plugged into the, the family, as it were, but not in a full sense. You were always sort of second class. If that was who you were, if you were a Gentile, who started following the God of Israel. So you see this? This is so key for us, friends. In baptism, you receive a new inheritance. You move from being an outsider to being an heir. So daughters, for the purposes of inheritance here, daughters are now sons. And slaves are now sons. And foreigners are now sons. You have a new identity in Christ. You're part of this new family. And that familyhood, in case there's any doubt, it extends all the way to inheritance. The highest privilege that can be bestowed on somebody in the family in that ancient world, it is yours. No matter who you are, where you come from, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, if you have been baptized into Christ, you are now an inheritor. And what is your inheritance? Your inheritance. Here's a short list. Forgiveness of sins. New life. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. He says, We have died to sin, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. This is part of what comes in baptism. A new and eternal life. When you go into the water, Paul's explained, it's symbolic of You going into the grave, being dead to your old sinful life. And coming out of the water is a reminder that we are raised with Christ too and that his new life is something that we inherit. So that's part of the inheritance. This is too. Part of your inheritance if you have placed your faith in Christ is that the Holy Spirit now lives in you. That his power, his presence is always there. You're never alone. You inherit a new family, as Paul has noted here. You have a new level of belonging. You inherit security. You did nothing to earn your salvation, and you can do nothing to lose it. It only comes by putting our trust in Christ. And eternal life, what the Bible calls heaven, that's part of this inheritance, too. Uh, There's an evangelist in the early part of the 20th century named Dwight Moody. He said this. He says, one day you will hear that Dwight Moody is dead. Don't you believe it. At that moment, I will be more alive than I have ever been. And friends, if you've been baptized into Christ, this is true of you as well. Even though you will someday die, you'll always live. And can I ask you today, do you want that? Do you want these things? These three young women that you're going to see baptized today, they've said yes to that. And they're making a public profession of that today. And I would ask you of you. And if you are unsure of where you stand with Jesus, I want to invite you this day, even as you're witnessing the profession of faith of these others, to put your faith in Christ, to declare your allegiance to him, to ask him to fill your life to forgive your sins, to bring you this new life. And if you've already placed your trust in him, then I'm gonna invite you in a few minutes after these folks are baptized to renew your baptism and make this a day when you look back and mark your own time when you were baptized and commit yourself afresh to following Christ with your whole life. Uh, in a minute, Cameron's gonna come up and he's gonna introduce our baptism candidates and. We're going to baptize them and worship together. And as we worship together, if you are wanting to be prayed for, I want to invite you to that too. And uh, Tyson will be in the back of the room. We'll be praying for folks this morning. Uh, But let's pray together and then we'll meet our candidates.